This is Madeline Smith, and you are listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Rudyard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Actually Interesting History. I'm going to be honest, I was having a really hard time figuring out what I wanted to cover next. <laughs> I think we talked about this a little bit, but I think this is a result of the fact that I had so much that I was covering and it was so structured last season. Now I'm kind of all over the place and I just want to talk about whatever I'm actually interested in and want to sit down and do the research for because... <laughs> Towards the end of Cleopatra, I was definitely a little fatigued. And so I was sitting, I was going to do something completely different, like a completely different place, a completely different time. And then I was going through and looking at some pictures that I had taken recently. I went and visited the Getty Museum in, oh my gosh, oh, I was in California. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. And I saw a picture of a bust of... Caligula. And I was like, oh, I actually would be very interested in doing some research on that right now. I know a lot about Caligula. I think there's some really interesting topics that we can cover related to him. So my interest was piqued and here we are. We're going to be talking about Caligula and yeah, here we go. <laughs> because we've spent a lot of time on this podcast in this general general place and time and we'll give a little bit more context as we're going through i thought it was best to just instead of doing an entire background episode get into more of caligula's life and then as topics come up that i think deserve a little bit more of a deep dive we'll go ahead and do that so as uh, as most stories begin gaius caesar augustus germanicus was born August 31st in the year AD 12 to us. To them, it would have been something different. Caligula would actually receive this nickname later in life, but for simplicity's sake, we will go ahead and call him this, and I'll give you the details of that nickname a little bit later on. Caligula's mom's name was Agrippina, but to history, she's known as Agrippina the Elder because, spoiler alert, she ends up having a daughter named Agrippina the Younger. Ah, classic. Anyways, she was the granddaughter of Augustus. And you might not know this, but we actually met Augustus previously during season two. But back then, he was going by the name Octavian. After the death of Cleopatra and Mark Antony, Octavian had been the de facto ruler of Rome, uh, after which many years of civil war had descended into chaos. Now, through a series of incremental powers granted to him by the Senate, Octavian slowly gained control of the Roman, at this point, republic, but by the time he's done, it will be an empire. The title Augustus is actually a religious title, and he was granted this on Jan in January of 27 BC. And even though this is a religious thing, this is an estate thing, many historians consider this the start to the Roman Empire and the start of his rule. Fun fact, uh, the month of August, August uh, was originally Sextilis, uh, 
S-E-X-T-I-L-L-I-S. You already know Latin's not my friend for being the sixth month of the Roman calendar, but it was renamed in his honor. So every time it's August, you can think Octavian slash Augustus. The mechanics of exactly how Augustus eventually became emperor are complicated. And I tend to think of it as, you know, I'm a frog and I'm in some water. It's a nice, you know, it's metal. It's a little weird looking, but whatever, the water is a nice temperature. And then it starts getting hotter and hotter and the temperature is rising. And eventually it starts to feel like a bath and then more like a hot tub. And then eventually you're cooked. <laughs> That's basically the way that Rome went from a republic to an empire. And again, the mechanics of this are very complicated. And frankly, it's not worth going into for an episode on Caligula. But it just, you know, eventually you woke up one day and you thought you were in a republic, but then it's like, hey, never mind, I'm in an empire. <laughs> Agrippina the Elder's mom, so this is uh, Caligula's grandmother, was actually the daughter of Augustus, his only biological child, Julia the Elder. I'm sure that you know where the Elder comes from. There's another Julia floating around, of course. But Julia had been married to Agrippa, who was the general that had won Augustus's war against Cleopatra and Mark Antony for him. So those were Agrippina's parents and those are Caligula's grandparents, at least by blood. And that, uh, including that caveat is going to make sense very soon. Caligula's dad Germanicus was also extremely well-connected. On his paternal side, his grandmother was Livia. So Livia ends up being Octavian slash Augustus's wife. And on his maternal side, he was actually the grandson of Mark Antony and Augustus's sister, Octavia, meaning that he was Augustus's great nephew. So he's related to the imperial couple, Augustus and Livia on both sides of his family. Now, when Augustus's first choice for heir died, Augustus actually briefly considered making Germanicus his heir. But instead of uh, jumping to his generation, Livia convinced him to put uh, Tiberius first. Tiberius was Livia's son from a previous marriage. Now, Augustus required uh, Tiberius uh, to adopt Germanicus, and then he adopted Tiberius in turn. Uh, again, Tiberius was Livia's son, and Germanicus was actually Livia's grandson, so Tiberius and Germanicus' dad were brothers. So Tiberius is Germanicus's uncle, he's required to adopt him, so now he's his son in the legal sense, and then in turn, uh, Tiberius is, uh, is Augustus's son in the legal sense. And the reason this is important to bring up is because we're going to get into the specifics of this a little later, but there was a major fertility problem in ancient, the ancient Roman world, especially in the upper classes. So because of this, the power of adoption was extremely strong and being adopted by someone made you their heir. We actually ran into this a little bit during the Cleopatra series when Caesar adopted Octavian in much the same way. So that is very much what's happening here. 
And now that results in Germanicus being the uh, grandson of Octavian slash Augustus. Confusing? I hope not. <laughs> After Agrippa died, so remember this is mom's actual dad, Augustus had Julia, so his only biological child, marry uh, Tiberius, her stepbrother, if you really think about it, but let's not go into too much detail there. And he did this in order to strengthen Tiberius's claim to the throne after he died and to really just make this all wind up together. And because it's not going to come up again, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, she died shortly after Tiberius took the throne and Tiberius was not her biggest fan and likely had her killed. So that's what happened to grandma. We just love the Julio-Claudian dynasty. They're all just so nice and caring, and I'm sure the dinners were a blast. Also around this time, Germanicus marries Agrippina the Elder, uh, just to make sure we really tie up this web of confusion. So to recap, uh, mom is the granddaughter of the first emperor of Rome, and dad is that same guy, Augustus's great nephew. Uh, somewhere it said, uh, that this made, this somehow made Germanicus and Agrippina the Elder second cousins. And honestly, my ADHD brain refused, just refused to allow me to sit down and try to figure out that one. So I'm just going to stick, <laughs> I'm just going to stick with it. I just could not bring out the genealogical charts. I just, my head was like, nope, -uh, not going to do this today. So we're just going to refer to them as cousins in the Irish sense of the word. As in, when I'm at an Irish family reunion, my dad's Irish, so this is my dad's side. And we're at a family reunion, and I have no idea how those people in that room are related to me. Uh, but they are somehow related to me. And so we just call them cousin, and uh, we move on with our lives. And that is the way we're going to treat... <laughs> that is the way that we are going to treat this. Because dad was very well connected, being the heir to the heir of the empire and all, he was allowed to enter political office five years prior to the legal age. He was 21, it happened, and the requirement was 25, and he was elected to council for the first time in AD 12, the year of Caligula's birth. In AD 14, two years after the birth of Caligula, Augustus died at the age of 75, and he was succeeded as emperor by his adopted son, Tiberius, meaning that dad was now the heir to the empire. Mom and dad were especially popular. Their relationship with the people of Rome will become an important part of Caligula's later life, so I think it's important to explain why they were so loved by the people of Rome. And let's switch it up and let's start with dad. So Germanicus, uh, we already mentioned that Germanicus started his political and military career early. So he does that. And one of the things that he does during his career is he was the equivalent to a lawyer in ancient Rome at some differences, but for far purposes, just think of him as a lawyer. But instead of having like a law degree, he's just really good at arguing that, well, I guess there are some lawyers that are also <laughs> also have law degrees and happen to be really good at arguing. But instead, in ancient Rome, you basically could be like, I have declared myself good at arguing. I am a lawyer now. And that's pretty much all you needed. Confidence. And you know what? I 
I don't hate it. So he was really popular, not just because he was super good at this and people loved ancient Rome, loved a good speaker, but he was also very popular for the cases that he would take on. So he's gaining major points with the people. And then in 13 AD, uh, before Augustus's death, uh, Augustus appointed Germanicus commander of eight legions, which was roughly one third of Rome's military at the time. So this is a huge deal. So he has this really awesome political life, and now he's taking on a lot of military responsibility as well. When Augustus died, soon after, some of the troops mutinied when it became clear that Tiberius was not going to be paying a debt that they felt Augustus owed to them. These troops actually tried to declare Germanicus the emperor, but he was able to persuade them to not do that, and he negotiated a settlement with them and paid them out of his own money. He also, because nothing unites people more than hating someone else, I've firmly believe that. <laughs> I believe it still. Germanicus was like, hey, why don't we also go attack some of the, the people who were living in Germania? Not really Germans, but whatever. Let's go attack them and you can keep whatever you get. And the people love to war. That's what these people wanted to do. They were bored. They wanted to war. He basically gave them exactly what he wanted. And the Senate was so, so pumped so pumped about the fact that he figured this out, they actually gave him a triumph. Uh, not sure how Tiberius felt about this. Uh, historians, historians often paint Germanicus in comparison to Tiberius, and Tiberius tends to get the short end of the stick. For example, here's a quote. He was indeed a young man of unaspiring temper and of wonderful kindness, contrasting strongly with the proud and mysterious reserve that marked the conversation and features of Tiberius. And that's from uh, Tacitus in his, uh, in his work, The Annals. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about their relationship in detail later. Uh, also, just because, you know, Germanicus wrote poetry and then he also wrote things on subjects like astronomy, you know, just casual. He was a Renaissance man before the Renaissance even happened. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this really hard. I was trying to think of a modern equivalent that we could compare Germanicus to. And I think that the best way to think of it is Germanicus was basically Brad Pitt but if Brad Pitt was also the son of the president, like imagine the Brad Pitt and Prince William are the same person and he also writes poetry. Like that's basically what Germanicus was to the Roman people. So imagine how crazy we are about celebrities like that, but add in the fact that it's this like royal figure larger than life and that's what Germanicus was to the Roman people. And understanding how much they loved him is going to be a, especially important for later on in Caligula's life. So that, that is my best comparison. He's Brad Pitt, Prince William, and a poet just all combined into one person. So that's dad. 
Now let's talk a little bit about mom. Agrippina the Elder was considered a model Roman woman due in part to her high fertility. She had at least six children. Uh, these six children lived on to adulthood. It's thought that she may have had nine, but infant mortality was extremely high at this time, so it's kind of hard to tell. But she had at least six children that lived on to majority, as we would say. Uh, birth rate was definitely an issue in ancient Rome. I alluded to this a little earlier. This is why, part and why, adoption was so important. And in 18 BC, Augustus actually passed a law that penalized unmarried and childless women because you need to be serving your duty to the Roman state. And the best way for you to do that is to make more Romans. And it's thought that Augustus uh, saw in part a shortage of Roman men, um, largely due to there had been 50 years of civil war. So that also could have played a part to it. But also there was also, also there was also, also there was high infant mortality rates uh, half of about all children died before the age of 10. So implementing these laws also uh, was a way to try to increase the fact that these things were happening. All women were expected to be married and have children by the age of 20 and women who had over three children actually received special privileges from the state. So we talked a little bit about 50 years of civil war, you know, high infant mortality, but were there other reasons playing into the fact that they had such a hard time with fertility in the ancient world? And there's been a couple of ideas that were, that were put forward for this. Uh, one reason is expected that the upper class actually suffered from lead poisoning caused by lead cooking vessels that were used that made people sterile, basically. So a buildup of lead in the body over time affected people's ability to have children. Another idea that was put forward, and I thought this one was very interesting, was basically this idea that there is a form of natural selection favoring low fertility because men, when they wanted to marry, tended to opt for women that were the sole heiresses of families with large fortunes. And supposedly these women would have in inherited low fertility passed down from their parents, which were the reason they were the sole heiresses in the first place. So there's this self-selection for people with low fertility because of that. I thought that one was really interesting. I had never heard that idea put forward before, but it kind of makes sense. I don't know what the... I don't know how much the inheriting of low fertility from parents is actually a thing though. So that one's a little bit more up for debate. And then there's also the idea that the practice of taking very hot baths led to infertility, especially for men. And I thought that this idea is really, really interesting. And there's actually a paper that was published on this. I've seen it. I saw it in college a few times. But basically what this paper argues is that the whole reason that the male anatomy is set up the way that it is, remember that I try not to be explicit, this is not an explicit podcast, but the male arrangement of things is due to the fact that sperm need to be kept at a cooler temperature than the rest of the body. So the fact that Romans used to take baths daily, sometimes twice daily, and the way that they specifically would bathe was in extremely hot water, 
so higher than the temperature of the rest of the body, could have definitely affected their ability to, uh, they definitely affected their overall fertility, which would affect their ability to have children. I thought that that is very, very cool. And I'll definitely link that study in the show notes on the episode in case you want to be able to read it for yourself. But again, all very, very interesting ideas, but it results in the fact that for Roman women, fertility starts to become this very important virtue. Now, Agrippina being fertile was definitely a huge thumbs up for the Roman people. However, her personality wasn't exactly what Roman people, and by Roman people, I mean men, wanted to see. And I think that to exemplify this, I need to give another quote from uh, Tacitus in the Annals. He says, Agrippina herself, too, being rather excitable, only her purity and love of her husband gave a right direction for her otherwise imperious disposition. So basically, uh, she was a little too sure of herself for Roman tastes, but because of her husband and having a lot of kids, people dealt with her. Remember this for later. And so I was thinking, I was thinking about a good example for this. And I want to go back to my Brad Pitt slash Prince William example. I want... This doesn't really fit anymore because they're not together still. But if you're my age and you remember how crazy it was that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie got together and Angelina Jolie wasn't always like the humanitarian like mom that we think of now. At one point, she was kind of this like wild child rocker person. And then she settles down with Brad Pitt. She has this large family. She's doing all of this wonderful humanitarian work. And in a lot of ways, like I think Angelina Jolie still is cited as one of the most admired women in the world. That's not too far off what's happening with Agrippina. It's like, eh, she's married now and she has a big family and she's devoted to her husband. So we're going to let all that other stuff slide. I want this to be a reflection, not of my own personal feelings towards Angelina Jolie, but I think more of a representation of our cultural understanding and our cultural, uh, our cultural interpretation (laughs) of our feelings towards Angelina Jolie. But I think that that actually fits very well. And again, they're no longer together, so this doesn't really fit anymore, but when I was thinking about it and trying to think of an equivalent that we could attach on to, that was the one that really hit for me. Agrippina and Germanicus actually seemed to have a love match, which was very refreshing for the ancient world. We love to hear it. She actually would travel with her husband when he was on campaigns and she would bring along the children as well. Most of the time, whenever I hear stories about the ancient world, the wives and families almost were always left in Rome. Uh, Cough, cough, Mark, Antony, cough, cough. So this is just further proof to me that they actually liked each other. And it was during these travels that Caligula actually got his nickname from the troops that were being led by his father. 
So Gaius, as he was called up until this point, was all dressed up in a miniature soldier's outfit, including boots and armor. He was given the nickname, which actually means little boot because of the little tiny miniature boots that he was wearing. Cause you know, just so cute. Everything's cuter when it's litter, little. And apparently uh, he grew to dislike this nickname. I get this. I have my own personal experience with something like this happening recently. I, for a long time, have called my brother uh, some variation of Little Buddy or Mikey. Uh, and recently, uh, a friend explained to me, you know, I understand that it's your little brother, but he's 23. And so maybe if you called him Michael, as he prefers, instead of Little Buddy, he might actually text you back. And, uh, <laughs> ouch, but noted. And I think that that's probably what happened to Caligula, but if we'll get into reasons why the nickname has stayed throughout history. So that's the Caligula story, and I have fulfilled the promise that I made earlier to you of explaining. After the death of Augustus, Tiberius taking the throne, and the quelling of the mutiny, Germanicus continued on his military success with a few events in Germania. During this time, Germanicus's family was either staying in the camp or would be sent away depending on what the fighting was going on, you know, just relative danger where they needed to be, but for the most part, they were always nearby. Uh, the results of the battles were very positive. Uh, prior to Germanicus, there had been some Roman legions that had lost some pretty major battles in the area, resulting in the loss of some standards. And there's actually a movie, I randomly think it has Channing Tatum in it. I, I definitely watched this movie. Like, this exists. I think it's called The Eagle, but it it's this whole big thing about how they send some soldiers to try to recover these standards. And basically, they were statues in the shape of, you guessed it, an eagle that were very important to the Roman troops. So Germanicus is actually able to return two of these statues and capture, capture the wife of the man who had led the original battles against the Roman troops uh, and had resulted in that uh, defeat. So this made him, if he was already popular, like imagine very popular Germanicus, even more popular. I am trying to think of a good example and my only other thing that I can add to is it's Brad Pitt, Prince William, but then also Brad Pitt's character in the movie Troy Achilles combined with Prince Hector. Like that's the, the gravitas of the person that we're talking about. Like just oh, so much love, so much love. Uh, at this point, it's 17 AD and Germanicus is recalled back to Rome. Some ancient sources, and again, we're starting to get to the point where sources are going to start comparing and contrasting uh, to Tiberius and Germanicus. So again, Tiberius is now emperor. Some of the ancient sources are saying that he did this because he was jealous of Germanicus's success. So he was like, uh-uh, nope, we got to bring him back. And those ancient sources even say that had Germanicus been able to stay, he would have conquered the whole region. But Whatever, Germanicus, when he returns, is given a triumph. Uh, not that Tiberius would have had a lot of control over this. This was decided by the Senate. But Tiberius did give out money in Germanicus' name to the people. So again, a few historians say uh, 
that he did this because he was jealous. Some of them are just saying, no, he just like didn't care. And on one hand, the other hand of this argument, the Roman people kind of thought that the area that Germanicus was in was boring. Like they had better resources, they thought, in other areas that they controlled that were already conquered. So to them, they may, it might not have been worth it. Like Germanicus regained the glory. That's really all that they wanted. And there was no point in wasting more resources, claiming a bunch of stuff that they didn't really want. So like both sides of the argument, whatever, he gets a triumph. Who knows how Tiberius really feels at this point. And then next, Germanicus and his family are sent to Asia to clean up this area, and he was given control over the governors. So on one hand, this role was given to Augustus. This was the same role, sorry, that had been given by Augustus to Tiberius at one point when he was the potential heir. So that seems like an honor, and Tiberius is saying, this is my heir, he's going to follow my footsteps, whatever. But then on the other hand, um, and this is coming from Tacitus again. And I know that I keep stumbling over Tacitus's name. Uh, one, because it kind of looks like Tiberius when I'm looking at it. And two, this is how it's spelled. T-A-C-I-T-U-S. Now you tell me that you're not going to have a hard time with that. Anyways, Tacitus uh, says, that German that says that Tiberius did this so that Germanicus would be separated away from those troops that had already tried to make him emperor. Because remember, at one point, Germanicus was the head of one third of the Roman army. And some of that third had tried to make Germanicus emperor. So Tiberius, and maybe both were true at the same time. He was like, look, you know, I want him to follow in my footsteps, but also it would make me feel more comfortable if there wasn't a man who was super popular that could potentially walk in with one third of the army and try to take it from me early. So, you know, the multiple things can be true at one time. Either way, like we said, the Yum family packs up and heads east. On the way, Agrippina gives birth to her youngest daughter on the island of Lesbos, and there are actually inscriptions on the island celebrating her fertility. So again, they loved that she was had a huge family. She That was just the highest of aspirations that a Roman woman could have. So another example of why they loved these people. So they travel around, Germanicus goes to Troy, maybe stops at the Olympics, they're not sure if that actually happened, uh, visits some sites associated with his grandfather, Mark Antony, and his adopted grandfather, Octavius uh, slash Augustus, or sorry, Octavius, I just combined their names, Octavian slash Augustus, combined his names into one, but whatever, same person, which I, I never really stopped to consider the weight of that, but this guy's actual grandparents and then his adopted grandfather were like these people who had this huge competition against each other. I just think that you just had to, I don't know if they just didn't have the same type of family loyalty we had or what, or how they were able to deal with this, but messy, 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 messy family webs. What can you say? So anyways, eventually, he ends up in Rhodes and meets up with this guy named Piso that Tiberius had put in charge of Syria. So he was the replacement governor of Syria. And he was also supposed to act as support for Germanicus's efforts in the area. So Tiberius appoints him around the same time. And he's like, look, this guy's job is to also, it's to be in charge of Syria, but it's also to help your efforts around here. 
think of him as your like enforcer guy or whatever. So the men separate um, after they initially meet and Germanicus goes and starts, you know, reordering stuff. Again, details not important. And there's definitely tension between Piso and Germanicus. Germanicus is mad because Piso, in this one thing that he was trying to accomplish, basically requ requested troops and Piso never sent them to him. So he's peeved about that. And these guys just didn't like each other. Like there were just several things that happened and they're just not, not getting along. Now that at this point, there's a famine going on in Egypt and Germanicus decides to go because Egypt, a lot of the ancient Mediterranean got their grain from Egypt. So if there's famine in Egypt, that means that eventually there's going to be famine everywhere else. But this move on Germanicus's part actually does make Tiberius angry because Egypt belonged explicitly to the emperor, according to Augustus. This was something that Augustus has put in place. And so no one was supposed to go there without the emperor's expressed permission if you were in some type of political role. So if Tiberius wasn't acting in anger or jealousy up until this point, he's definitely actually upset with Germanicus now because Germanicus definitely has overstepped his bounds by entering into Egypt. So Germanicus leaves Egypt. Uh, he realizes that Piso has basically, in a very petty way, uh, we've talked about this, I think petty energy is funny. Piso uh, basically was just like, everything Germanicus that you tried to do, I am going to do the opposite of, or flat out just not do what you told me to do because I don't like you. And that's what I'm going to do. And again, that's like, that's one way to handle conflict. It's the most hilarious way. If you ask me the healthiest way, absolutely not, but the most hilarious for sure. So Germanicus is just like, look, dude, go home. Uh, uh, I, you're no longer in charge. I'm in charge. And Germanicus probably didn't have the authority to do this, but Piso complies with the request. Now, after Piso is sent away, almost conveniently, after he is in a different place, to say, look, I was in a different place, uh, Germanicus becomes ill. And Germanicus himself is convinced that Piso had him poisoned. And he even sends a formal letter basically saying something along the lines of, I am formally telling you that I do not like you and we are no longer friends. And shortly after this, Germanicus dies. He was only 33. So you know how I like to leave you on a cliffhanger. And the events following Caligula's father's death are going to set the tone for the rest of Caligula's life. So we are going to pick up with what happens next episode. I know, I suck, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm so excited next week. I promise you it's just gonna get, the story's just gonna keep picking up from here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Bye. I feel like this is the part of the episode where someone would say something along the lines of, if you like what you heard today, please don't be afraid to leave a review or whatever it is. And uh, in a classic podcasting form, uh, if you guys wanted to do that, I would really appreciate it. That would be awesome. But also I just wanted to share, I think I've talked about this before, but I do have a Facebook group. There's like over 
I think the last time I checked, there was like over like 2,500 people in that group, which is crazy. But I'm always sharing stuff in there. And then I have an Instagram and I did create a TikTok that I'm starting to just share short videos on about the stuff that we're covering or maybe like short things that are related to the subjects. So if you guys wanted to check that out, please do. It's at Actually Interesting History all over the place. And you can always refer to my website, actuallyinterestinghistory.com. Thank you guys so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye again.